For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Larry Hughes is going to pop out and get the ball. Jordan's going to rub his man off of Leitner and then cut down the center and gets a nice pass from Larry Hughes. DC family, welcome into another Believe in Wizards podcast. I'm your host, Matt Moderno. Today, we've got another Bullets Forever three-point play for you. There's just so much to talk about in Wizards world right now that uh, we needed to get a second podcast out this week. Today's episode, we got some fun stuff for you. Maybe some a little depressing stuff, but hopefully like a so sad it's funny kind of thing. We're going to do a couple of our favorite fake trades that we think Ernie Grunfeld would have done if he were still the general manager for this team at the trade deadline. And the main topic today is just going to be, you know, what to do with Spencer Dinwiddie, what to make of Spencer Dinwiddie, what is Spencer Dinwiddie, why is Spencer Dinwiddie? So we're, we're going to spend some time on that. And then, uh, you know, we'll, we'll start doing like a draft prospect of the week kind of thing. So um, stay tuned for that. Uh, but first, let's get to a word from one of our sponsors, Bet Online. Bet Online would like to wish you a happy betting new year as we continue our march to the playoffs and beyond. BetOnline remains the number one spot for all the best sports wagering action for 2022. A new year and a new updated desktop and mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEF, B-L-E-A-V, to get started. From football, basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all of your favorite sports. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, uh, let's get to today's podcast. I've got uh, Kevin Broom and Osmond Begg with me here again, and yeah, we're just going to chop it up and, and see where uh, see where the convo takes us. All right, it's another Bolts Forever three-point play. I got Kevin and Oz here again. We're going to hit the uh, Spencer Dinwiddie conundrum. I don't know if that's the right word for him. It's just sort of a hard thing to, to get a finger on, so we're going to try to do that. We'd love to hear from you guys what you think uh, about Spencer, his play, all this kind of good stuff, his fit. Uh, his long-term future, you know, uh, all, all of the important questions that that come with a, a point guard that you just gave a three-year contract to. So, guys, I'm going to start us off here, if that's okay with you guys, and just say I typically do not trust anything that comes out of Bleacher Report, but I saw a trade write-up from, from earlier this week with a quote from a Western Conference executive on Spencer Dinwiddie that said, he needs the ball, but he's not good enough to have the ball. And he's not a good shooter. I think that pretty much sums up exactly how I felt about the Spencer Dinwiddie experiment thus far. Kevin, wh- where are you at on, on Spencer so far this season? So I think that's actually pretty good. But the thing I would say with, with Dinwiddie is that's always been the case. Other right? than the it's one like, year you know, in he, 2016, he, right, where he shot well. 
Right. I mean, he's had a couple of years uh, in his career where he's been a little better than average overall, but he's, this is why I think like the, one of the biggest problems with Spencer Dinwiddie is the expectations that he would be anything other than what he's been before. And, you know, that's not to say that he definitely has some things that he's not doing as well as he has in the past um, or that he's doing, uh, you know, differently than he has in the past, but his overall impact is about the same as what it's been. You know, even when he was good, he's, he's a little been, you know, around average this season. So, you know, it's like, the expectations that he would be anything other than that were really what was out of line here. I think this is one of those things where you get into like team building philosophy a little bit here too. And Tommy Shepard has seemed to make it a point to try to get, you know, guys he can buy low on that haven't maxed out yet. They have some ceiling yet to reach maybe with, you know, better roles in Washington, they can actually, um, you know, perform better than they did previously. And I think they looked at Dinwiddie's kind of numbers and saw, all right, there's a slight trend up here minus the injury. If he's back healthy, like maybe he'll continue progressing and we'll give him a full-time role and those numbers will just magically go up. But other NBA teams like aren't stupid, you know, like there's sometimes there's a reason that guys are in the roles that they're in. If he was that good, maybe he probably wouldn't have come off the bench. I think that seems like the best way to utilize his skill set and probably always has been. Yeah, it's like the 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 thing with with him was what we usually it, it's the case that like you get a young player who you know plays less than he should or less than what what shows, you know, he shows flashes in like limited minutes, and you're yeah. thinking, okay, not even flashes, but he plays well in limited minutes, right? Like I I could see, for example, like Brandon Clark, who is kind of got a little bit of a stack up in front of him in terms of guys that they really want to bank on. But he's the kind of guy I could see going to, you know, a, a Wizards, going to, a, a, you know, a mid-level team and sort of breaking out, right? Because he's still pretty young. He's playing terrific in a, in a smaller role. And then you put him into the bigger role. James Harden is like the classic of this, where he's the sixth man for Oklahoma City. But you could just you could see what he was doing out there. The skills so, are there to do that. Yeah, yeah, and also he was twenty two. You know, Dinwiddie they're getting him at twenty eight. You know, by the time a, a guard is twenty eight, he kind of is what he is. He's, you know, the, there aren't many players who make big leaps at you know twenty eight, twenty nine, thirty. <laughs> That's just a bad time to bet on a player. Yeah, I see a lot of the same issues. I mean, uh, what you have here also, it's it's kind of we talked about this a few kind of a few uh, few weeks ago when we first spoke, like what were they actually trying to accomplish? You have Beal who is turned into more of a of a of a shooting like not not a shooting, sorry, he's turned Boring. from a shooting shooting guard to like an on-ball player. And then you have Dinwiddie who's kind of more of a combo guard. So you have really two non-shooting combo guards playing next to each other. So what was actually going to be the end result? And like what we're seeing is both are much better when they're not on the floor with the other. So what they envisioned didn't work. So why did they really go so hard after Dinwiddie? Unless it was really just to kind of get a name, a kind of a name. He's like, he's not a big name, but he's a name people have heard of once Russell Westbrook had asked to go to LA. Yeah, I mean, they needed to get somebody. Right. They needed somebody. And to be to be honest, I mean, Dinwiddie's fine. He's 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 OK. 
he's not as bad as the hyperbole, the Twitter hyperbole would say. He, he, he definitely has some games where it's like, holy crap, this guy is awful. But he also has games where he's good. You know, and like last night, it was it was a strange, kind of a strange game. This was a good, the game against Philly for those people who are not listening on Thursday. But um, he, so he shot really badly, four for 16, but he had a triple-double. And it was like a legit, you know, 12 rebounds, got five offensive boards, which were huge. It was a triple-double that helped the team win for the most part, too. Like those were yeah, meaningful yeah. assists, meaningful rebounds. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, the team defense was was far better when he was on the floor than when he sat. So it's like he he found ways to contribute, which is all you ask of a player, really. It, it's one of those things where I think maybe they they saw, okay, this is a guy that gets into the paint. The shooting was actually kind of trending, hopefully, in the right direction for a few years there. You know, maybe he is closer to the 38% guy than the career 31 and a half percent guy. Okay. Maybe he'll create some open looks for Beal again. Like I'm just trying to like envision what it was that they saw that made this fit. And I think to Kevin's point, like one, they did have to get somebody and they waited a long time with this. And two, we heard reporting that he and Beal really wanted to play together. Now it's seeming like maybe that's not that case, you know, not the case, but I I do wonder how much of this was like Beal kind of forcing their hand into adding this particular player, regardless of ideal team building. I'm sure that had to be, that had to have something to do with it. It's like, you have to, you can't lose Westbrook and then come back with nothing. And we've kind of said, I've said this a few weeks ago. I think the best point guard pairing we've had with Beal in recent history was Tomas Sanarinsky. Is he a flashy name? No. Would he have been an exciting summer acquisition? No. But in terms of just fit effectiveness, they've been as effective as really any point guard pairing with Beal since 2016-2017. Well, that was the best. That's Thomas Sadoransky. Beal was probably the next best. But would that have made Brad happy if the answer to their to losing Westbrook was, hey, we got Tomas Sadoransky back from the Bulls and, you know, here we go. Or that similar type of point guard. So it's really kind of like they, you know, they make so many like it, Dinwiddie's kind of being punished. Dinwiddie's not doing things that I love. He's, but he is kind of like who he is. Like he's, he, so, some of the, the shots where he's dribbling out the entire shot clock and you know, he's setting up for that step back three point shot. That is not going to go in. It just drives you crazy. It's like, keep the game simple. Uh, there were actually a couple of good things though. He did yesterday. Um, the 76ers game, Kevin, like you mentioned, it was like the assists were real. It wasn't like a bunch of stat padding. And one thing that I, I that I've seen that he doesn't do that kind of annoys me, but maybe he just is not physically capable of doing is he doesn't like attack. He doesn't like force tempo, force pace. He kind of like slowly brings it up and that could be health related. But what he did a little bit yesterday was he kept his eyes up. And if there was someone running the floor, he had a couple of nice lead passes. So instead of, he didn't have to do all the running himself, but by keeping his eyes up, he got transition by just by just moving the ball forward early. Now, where he got in trouble, why he missed so many field goals, was the possessions where he just dribble, 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 step back jumper, brick. Yeah, I mean, it's also hard if you're, you know, I'm going to say like loosely like point guard, but if your team can't shoot, like it also does make you look a little worse. Like they objectively are not a good shooting team. And uh, I think that's hurt him from a production standpoint to, to some extent, but it's just, it's less about 
Dinwiddie the player and what he's done. And I think it goes back to Kevin's point about expectation. Like he's not what I think most of us would have hoped that he would be. And I think the fit is so clunky that it makes him look worse because you've just got guys kind of like, you know, metaphorically and almost literally running into each other sometimes. Yeah, not just metaphorically. Yes, they they are. They sometimes seem quite confused about (laughs) their offensive sets. And it's like, how, how is that possible? You know, 50 games into an NBA season that professional basketball players don't seem to know the plays. It's a little puzzling. I mean, he's a smart enough dude that I do tend to think that if somebody on the court knows the plays, it is probably Dinwiddie. I'm just going to throw that out there. No, I, I think there's an outline there. There's at least a sketch for, for him being a, a productive player for the team. Um, I don't really think it's in that starting guard role, but they don't really have anybody else. Yeah. So it's like you could start Beal and, and KCP, but you know, you're sort of begging the other team to, to just start pressing you, um, you know, and uh, so they're kind Wait, of Aaron Holiday kind of didn't Aaron Holiday getting back in the lineup didn't work. <laughs> Say that again. Aaron Holiday getting back in the lineup didn't work. Yeah, shockingly, um, that's that's one of those those worst moves, man. I can't. I just it's amazing to me that they moved back for him, and the fact that they moved back, like traded out of the first round, so that they could get him, is just mind blowing to me. So Oz and I were talking about this a little bit offline too. Uh, They wanted Isaiah Todd. Like that was the guy. He had a great workout. They were into it. They thought they had a real like steel diamond in the rough thing going there. And they didn't really like the guys that were left. They wanted some kind of bouncy four. uh, And they weren't going to take an Isaiah Jackson. So if we're not in love with the guys that are here, let's trade back and we'll get some insurance policy. You know, Holiday's a former first round pick. Again, maybe we can recoup some value here. And and that has not gone uh, well at all, I would say. And and to me, if you'd watched Aaron Holiday play, this is who he is. This is who he has been. And this is who he will continue to be. Mm-hmm. If you if you can't beat out Neto and Neto has been really bad, that says a lot about you. And considering how bad Neto has been, like... Of, of course, Dinwiddie's been the starter. Like they're going to play a point guard there. You sign him to that much money. He's not going to sit out in favor of those guys because if he moves to the bench, then you're not playing them at all, which is maybe that's actually not a terrible thing. But I do wonder if we had Neto of last year, if this would be more palatable to start him. Again, you know, he was still more of a six foot two guard then, but at least he made shots and was a threat and uh, could be a little more helpful off ball. I don't know. See, that's the thing is Neto was more of, he was an off ball player. And I guess maybe that would work. Um, yeah. At least he can handle it a little bit and, you know, help Beal a little with the pressure and stuff like that. Yeah. I, I think a lot of it though, I mean, comes down to like Beal is shooting what 30% this year from three. So, you know, teams can, can play off of him a little bit that they just, they don't have great shoes. They're about average shooting but they don't really have like these, these guys who are really knocking things down. That was supposed to be for And he's obviously just uh, not making threes, which means he can't play. And, um, you know, Abdi is not shooting the ball that well, you know, Hachimura is making some threes. We'll see if that keeps up, you know, um, it's like, there just isn't that kind of shooting to open driving lanes for, for, for Dinwiddie or for anybody else for that matter. 
And if you've got this old man game where all you want is to put somebody on your hip and try to get semi near the hoop to take that little leaner, like you know, it's, space, it's space, funny. Space old man nice. is exact is exactly what I was thinking in regards to did we just that, yeah. that sort of um, loping, just sort of never move too fast. You know, even his drives, he doesn't, yeah. you know, you look at Maxi I and mean, Maxi looked like he was shot out of a can last <laughs> right. night. And then you got Dinwiddie and it's just looking like he's got a parachute on, you know, he's, when he's running. But that's actually where I kind of wonder what did, what did people expect? Because when I've seen Dinwiddie, he's always looked like more of the crafty player, not the explosive type player. So he might be even slower now, but what did people really expect? I mean, did, did you guys think he would look like he looks slower to me? Like objectively, when I watch him, I, I'm like, that's like the third time I've said objectively, by the way. I'm just going to be on record that I'm trying to be objective here, I guess. Uh <clears throat> He looks slower. I, I don't know if it's an ACL thing. I don't know if that's Wes telling them, you know, to be slower. It, it just, it doesn't look like he has the same burst. Not that he was going to go like Tomahawk on somebody from the free throw line, but uh, he, he can't beat seemingly like middling defenders at all anymore, unless he just like outlinks them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that that's true. And this is one of the things too, where he's driving um, much less frequently than he did um, pre-injury, yeah. you know, be, before the injury, he was uh, a guy who was attacking. He was probing the defense. He was, you know, not necessarily always getting to the rim, but he was, he would get there, um, you know, get into the paint and create some, create something, do something. And he's doing much less of that. He's much more of a jump shooter now than he was before. And that jump shot is, is a little, shaky I, I question the form the form looks like to me like a middle schooler trying to you know get the ball up to the rim you know because he's got that thing where he brings it down you can't see i just did this on video where i've got the the ball down by my chin yep. but it's that it's a strange shot and uh, i wonder like if he had more classic shooting uh mechanics if he would shoot better but you know, that's, that's, that's who he is now. It's funny because like I said, his across the board, his per like possession stats, his per hundred possession stats are very similar to his career norms. Mm -hmm. He's, you know, rebounding a little bit better, I think. And he's uh, producing more assists. Um, he's, and he's shooting about his norms a little worse from two point range, probably because he's not getting the same like quality shots, but, um, and it could be too, you know, the, the, this is one of those things where the, 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 the officiating change, which may have affected um, Beal and his ability to get to the free throw line, could also be affecting Dinwiddie. You know, yep. these guys who are, um, you know, Dinwiddie feasted on getting to the free throw line, and if he's not getting those same calls, um, that that's something that's gonna that's gonna hurt his efficiency, hurt his ability, and could even discourage him from driving. If they know you're not really a threat to shoot, and you can't get to the line. And you're not as willing to like barrel recklessly to the hoop. Well, maybe you're still tentative with the knee. Like that's, that's just a snowball effect of a worse offensive player. And again, maybe not worse to career averages, but worse than the guy I think they hoped that they would get out of this. Yeah. Uh, so here's the other thing I want to ask guys. And, and I haven't seen anybody talk about this because maybe it's a little too conspiracy theory ish, but this is why I don't like a deal structured around games played. Dinwiddie has uh, his contract is set up such that if he plays in 50 games in each of his first two seasons, 
then his third season becomes fully guaranteed. Whereas if he doesn't, it, only 10 million of that is guaranteed. And part of me wonders like, he just hasn't looked right. Or is, is this a guy pushing through this, uh, you know, to make sure he hits that games played number? Like NBA guys do that. Like, I mean, that's, that's an actual thing before people like, you know, stone me from a distance here, but uh, I'm not saying he would have gone out there on like a still torn ACL, but uh, maybe you're only 80% right or not fully ready to help the team. uh, But, but you're good enough. You're not going to do any more damage to that leg. You know, if he just sat for the first two, three weeks of the season and gotten right, does, does that help? Like, I, those are just the kind of things I'm, I'm wondering while watching the guy, if we're talking about like a lack of burst. That is a good question. And there's no, no question that, I mean, the, those kinds of considerations do play into people's, uh, you know, mindset. I mean, there, there are plenty of people in like your, your office who have run out of sick leave and right. they show up sick, right? Yeah. Because they're the like, sniffles. I want to get paid. Or, um, you know, if you're an hourly employee, I can remember that times when I had hourly jobs and I didn't have things like sick leave where, you know, I had hurt, injured myself playing basketball and I knew I was going to have to stand on my feet, um, you know, for a full shift. And I went anyway because I needed the money, you know, that stuff happens. So certainly it's reasonable to think that that would affect an NBA player, uh, especially, you know, a guy who, who, this is his big contract. You know, this is this is going to be the money that he makes, and I'm sure he'd love to get another deal. But really, this is he that third year is extremely valuable to him at his this point in his career. So I have no problem with believing that he would do that. I really don't have much of a problem with him doing it because the team set up the incentive, right? <laughs> and so if he can meet it, and and if they've cleared sense, him to play, decision. yeah. Yeah, if your team's giving you the thumbs up that you're good enough to go, then then you should go, you know? Exactly. Oz, what do you think about that one? Do you think there's uh, any any realism to... Yeah, <laughs> so I think there's definitely something to that. But at, at the same time, there's also just a competitive nature. You've been off the floor, you want to play. Sure. It's, it's kind of twofold. Um, I wouldn't say it's solely based on that, but it's also you're on a new team, you haven't played in a year... You know, there's already, you know, like who, who plays better together, other stuff going on in the locker room that we may touch on a little bit. Like, uh, you know, so there's there's an there's an anxiousness to get on the floor and show that you can still play in addition to probably some contractual factors there. Oz, I'm disappointed. You're usually Mr. Conspiracy. I have other conspiracies. We could <laughs> I think that's actually a perfect segue into some of the off-court issues potentially that have come with this Dinwiddie signing. And we, we mentioned earlier on that Brad, uh, you know, seemed to vouch for Dinwiddie and their desire to play together, which anytime an NBA player says, I want to play with that guy, it seems like that they immediately, like that fit blows up within the first year. So we should just never honor that ever again as an organization. Like, let's learn that lesson. But uh, you've got Dinwiddie coming out and talking about how the team lacks accountability and, uh, you know, guys need to be accountable. And then you've also got Dinwiddie coming out and saying, well, hey, I tried to be a leader. Uh, it's an interesting situation. I spoke up a little bit early this season and it wasn't necessarily welcomed. Uh, what does that mean? Like, I've actually never heard that 
in however many years of NBA fandom where, uh, you know, a starting player said, I tried to, to be a, you know, a veteran leader and people were like, nah, we'll pass. What I, what I think that means is the ship is sinking and I'm no longer going to just, you know, just be the company man. I'm going to say whatever's on my mind. And if that results in me playing for another team in 10 days, all good by me. That's, that's really what it seems like. And it's really, um, I think Kevin and I have talked about, had the same conversation before. Similarly, like when you start hearing these things, when you start hearing, oh, you know, players don't like me or there's leadership or there's, and I'm not saying just from his perspective, there was a report that his teammates don't like him, which immediately followed this comment from Diddy Dinwiddie, which has been, he has been kind of alluding to it, like an issue with how the ball should be shared all season. Mm-hmm. It seems like he finally just came out and said what has been on his mind. It's like, and you can kind of see that, like at the beginning of the season, he was engaged. Then there was like almost like a disengagement, especially when he was on the court with, with Beal and maybe Caldwell Pope and, you know, the other veterans on the team. So, but it's like, it always, it, it's always good. Like everything is good in training camp. Everything is good on media day. Everyone loves each other. Everyone's 120, 20%. They're in the best condition of their life until you start racking up losses. Then all of a sudden, Hey, this guy's not, this guy's not cool. We don't like him. We can't play with him. It's just BS to cover up for the fact that you guys are not playing well. <laughs> Uh, and it's funny, Kuzma joked after last night's game that Dinwiddie joked in the locker room after the win that he actually had a quadruple double instead of a triple double, that he had points, rebounds, assists, and missed shots, which I actually like an NBA player that can sort of poke fun at themselves a little bit. Uh, and, and that points to maybe you don't have a ton of ego if you're willing to say something like that, whereas I, I don't know. So I'm just like wondering, is he the problem? Is is it somebody else's problem? You know, all the kind of interesting locker room dynamic stuff. I, I have a hunch on who I think it probably is, but, um, you know, I guess we'll so never really know. The, the, the Wizards, I, I can remember going back to like Doug Collins talking about how sensitive guys were. And it yeah. seems like that's been a, a sort of a running theme since then, too, yeah. where guys are, are really sensitive about what things are said to them. Some guys, um, you know, I feel. So, like, when you've got Dinwiddie saying he spoke up and it wasn't necessarily welcome, it caused my, like, who was he talking to and what was he saying, right? And there are some things that you can say, like, for example, if he said something to Thomas Bryant, you can be sure that Thomas Bryant's just going to do whatever it is that he asks. Yeah, Rui, any of those kind of. And you can eliminate. um, For sure. We could safely eliminate any of the young players on the team. We could, like, deductively get to who. Is like so. So you take the question is like who would like argue back with him? Who would like sh- shout him down? Try to humiliate him? And the list isn't like really very long. Um, <laughs> there's only a, a, like three guys, one or two guys with the stature uh, to to do to be able to do something like that, and or the, the temperament, you know, the the sort of personality to do that kind of thing. And so it or did did the coaches snap him down? You know, yep. that's another possibility. So, um, and, and the thing is, is if you're getting like threatened with your playing time and that kind of stuff, and you know, then you, you shut up and you toe the line, you know, there's a lot of businesses, you know, again, it's a workplace. And if you've got like toxic bosses, toxic coworkers who are, you know, shouting you down or who are trying to embarrass you because you suggested something, then 
a, a, a common response is to simply pull back and say, fine, I'll, mm-hmm. but I'm asked to do, I'll do what's on my job description. And then you guys figure the rest of it out. Which is, I think, what we saw in the court. And now you do ask for conspiracy theories, Kevin. So early in the season, Dinwiddie without Beal on the court was playing very well. I mean, he still is playing much better without Beal on the court, but they they had they won their first three or four games or so without Beal on the court. And then I remember they played in Dallas. Beal had a big game. Um, and afterwards in the post game, I, I think it was with NBC Sports right after when they give, you know, when the players on the court, Beal came out and said something like, I had to get back to being the best player on the team being basically like the whole alpha stuff. And it kind of came off. It's like, okay, you didn't just say, Hey, I had to get back to being helping the team doing this. You had to go back to being the best player, the face of the team. It's like, okay, what was that really about? (laughs) You know, it just came at least to me, it came off awkwardly and it was like, wait, is there some posturing going on for whose team this is? I mean, obviously it's Beal's team because the ownership and front office has made it that way, but it's like, (laughs) it's like that kind of came out of the blue. So it's like, what was that all about? It's it's a little bit like Michael Jordan's like, you know, referring to his teammates as as his supporting cast, right? Yep. And it's you know, it's like it, it it's the comparative to his to his colleagues, right? It's not him saying, I need to get back to being the best player I can be. I need to get back to my best. I need to, you know, it's none of that stuff. It's he's comparing himself to his teammates and it's that's the kind of thing that doesn't really sit well because it also suggests how he views his teammates, right? That they are subordinates to him, that they're not as good as him. And there's some truth to that, but it's the kind of thing where you don't really say that in, in the workplace. Unless you're right? Jordan. Unless you're Jordan. Yeah. Yeah. Even then, I mean, even you then. You shouldn't say it. But. <laughs> you shouldn't say it, but when you have six rings, you get away with it. <laughs> like Magic Johnson never said stuff like that. No, no. I just started so like, reading started reading the Pippin biography and it's like literally in the second chapter, like how he just trashes how Jordan referred to them in the last dance the whole time. So that was (laughs) funny timing for me. So like, yeah, the dynamic is like kind of the dynamic just seems distinct between those two, which, and that's like, kind of goes back to what you originally said, Matt, you got to stop just consulting, stop taking like the argument when Barton's when David was up for his contract, new contract with the Wizards was after they did not do a trade um, at first. It was all right. We have Barton's. We can't lose him for nothing. But there were still state and sign and trade options available. I think Chase Hughes reported that teams had uh, have had those discussions and were ready to do sign and trade possibilities if they were there. But then the argument that everyone, every single person. So like we covered the team, what have you said was, well, you, you have to show commitment to Beal by keeping Davis Bertans. Well, now that's an $80 million mistake. And then, then similarly over the past summer, well, you have to get a point guard to show commitment to Brad. Now, and he's said that he has had some influence and some discussions with the front office. So you'd assume that he at least, that he at least, um, you know, gave his thumbs up to the Dinwiddie. At minimum, he gave the thumbs up maybe more, who knows? Um, so two decisions made for the sake of Beal have blown up in their face, uh, to some degree. And that's now your second and third highest paid player on the team. So just stop doing that. Make the decisions that are best for a basketball team. And in that sense, it should be able to, it should be better for Beal also. Don't do things I mean, because he just wants you to do them. <laughs> how often do those, cause when you're t- saying that, what was calling to mind for me was like when Cleveland, Made a whole bunch of moves 
to to try to like they show are Smith, James. Tristan Thompson got almost max mm-hmm. deals. You know? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like and it it turned out to be a disaster, and LeBron left, and so and it seems like that's kind of what happens is you know teams will make these moves to show a player oh you know one particular player we're trying we're going to build around you we're going to we're committed to winning and what it really means is squandering assets it's it's like spending into the future to try to get guys now and you almost always end up overpaying and overvaluing those assets and those moves and maybe that's part of what drove the the evaluation of Dinwiddie and the um you know fantasy that he was going to somehow become like much better than he had been before at age 28 after torn ACL. It's like the kind of fantasy thinking that makes you think that give a four year, $64 million deal to Jan Mahinmi when he'd had literally like one above average season in his career. Um, And he had been replacement level before that. All right. Let's just take a quick little break from the show here just to hear from a couple of our sponsors. First, let's hear from Masterworks. What I'm about to say might shock you, but the greatest quarterback of all time is not just a goat on the field. He's a goat when it comes to investing too. He invests in stocks, crypto, and even art. And now you can invest like the goat with Masterworks. Masterworks is the investing platform that lets you buy shares representing an investment in art from icons like Picasso, Monet, and Warhol. Art prices actually outpaced the S&P 500 by 164% from 1992 to 2021. In fact, early investors already received over 30% IRR in 2020 and 2021 from the sale of just two paintings. This is your opportunity to join 300,000 other members and invest like the GOAT. Plus, you can get priority access with our game day promo. Go to masterworks.art slash believe, B-L-E-A-V. That's masterworks.art slash believe. See important disclosures at masterworks.io slash disclaimer. And next, let's hear from NordVPN. What's more important than peace of mind? Nothing. And that's what NordVPN is here for, to give you peace of mind while you are online. And with all the threats that you face today on the internet, it's more important than ever to be sure that you have the best VPN you can get. NordVPN is the world's best VPN service, offering the fastest connectivity, most servers, and next-gen encryption to make sure that everything you do online stays secure. Plus, you can use NordVPN on all of your computers and devices, no matter the operating system. With NordVPN's unlimited bandwidth, you never have to worry about a slow connection either, and plans start at just under $4 per month. So grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash believe, B-L-E-A-V, or use the code believe, that's B-L-E-A-V, to get up to 75% off your NordVPN plan, plus one additional month for free. It's also risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Uh, for me, this is how I'm going to go get NBA uh, NBA League Pass and be able to watch the Wizards on League Pass and potentially listen to other broadcast teams' uh, coverage of it just to mix things up a little bit. So that's my personal twist on how Nord is going to hopefully save me some uh, some mental anguish in the future here. All right, with that, let's get back to the show. This is my question about team building again, right? So like I was saying earlier that I think Tommy tries to go for these buy low guys. If Berton's had four years of 45% shooting at 15 points a game, he makes a lot more money than whatever he would have made, you know, from us this last time. If Dinwiddie had been 2016 Dinwiddie for five straight seasons, he makes a lot more money than what we ended up giving him. So I think he's just like, hey, you know, these guys are trending up. 
let's pay them, you know, yeah. while we can get them cheaply. And to me, I would just never pay a guy without some kind of track record unless he was like super young because like the Spurs aren't stupid. Like they didn't leave Bertans on the bench for most of two seasons because uh, they were hiding some hidden gem. Uh, Brooklyn could have very much used Dinwiddie. And if he were a better player, he probably wouldn't have played 26 minutes a game off the bench. Like that's just my mm-hmm. personal theory. No, that makes yeah, sense. And, uh, go ahead. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I think, I think that makes perfect sense. And what you, what you have then is all these moves that are designed like, yeah, they just, so they already, they already were starting from kind of a handicap because when they were trying to build around Beal, they already had the John Wall Supermax contract on their books. So you add his contract, which was about 45 to 50 million, and you add the Mahimi contract that was still there. So you were trying to build around Beal with already 60 million of cap space that you weren't, didn't have access to. And, was, and Walls was going to be a negative throughout the life of that contract. If you are starting from that and are trying to really thread a needle and like hit the lottery and build around Beal, you can't afford those type of mistakes. Like the Beal, the Bertans initial con- the trade was fine. You gave nothing for him. Mm-hmm. There's one deal left. At that point, take your picks, take your whatever rookie contracts that he got for him. Use those to really get a get a complete piece, not a one way piece. But no, they went ahead and then paid full market value for him. So then, and similarly, you know, you lost Westbrook, you had to replace him, you got Dinwiddie. So now you already started from a handicap and now you have your second and third highest paid players are players that one does not play anymore. The other one does not fit with the player you're trying to build around. So you were trying to thread a needle and you have two gigantic mistakes already in trying to do so. Yeah. And I mean, you think about it, you've got, it feels like what we're doing is sort of wrapping back to our conversation about Beal because of, these are the kinds of moves you make where you, you maybe take a Spencer Dinwiddie or you sign a Bertans as like a luxury kind of signing uh, because, you know, he's a great three-point shooter. But these are the kinds of things you do when you're close to being a contender and you have a superstar on your team, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, if if they had Giannis um, as their franchise player, I mean, I keep going back to this because – He's, he's awesome and he's a real franchise player. But if you have Giannis, right, you can get Spencer Dinwiddie to come in and be your placeholder point guard, you know, to be a game manager, that kind of stuff. You can afford the luxury of Bertans coming off the bench and firing up threes. And if he fails, it's like, okay, that sucks. But you, then you've got other guys that you can sign cheaply to sort of fill in that spot. But Beal's not that franchise player. They're not close to contending. And so what they've got now is basically a maximum salary it's being spent on an average Dinwiddie and and Bertans who doesn't play that between the two of them, they're making about 33 million this 33, 34 million this year. And um, that's basically a maximum salary, right? And they're not getting maximum salary production from that. And they're paying a a maximum salary deal and they're not getting anything close to maximum salary production from him either. So it's like they're, they're spending a lot of money, but they're, they're not spending it very wisely. Uh, if you guys don't have any other parting shots on the Dinwiddie piece, I think that might actually be a pretty good segue into our, our conclusion to our combo here. Uh, we just talked about questionable general managing practices and, uh, Tommy got to learn at the foot of the master, Mr. Ernie Grunfeld, 
So for today's little fun hypothetical exercise, I think each of us have at least a trade um, that Ernie Grunfeld would have made for this team at the deadline based on based on track record. Does anyone particularly want to go first with theirs? So I don't want I don't want to go first, but I want to just kind of go over what an Ernie trade kind of is. Yeah. yeah. So I think there's two trades. Two has trades to involve that Trevor Ariza. Has to involve Trevor Ariza. That's the rule number one, and really the only rule. But <laughs> if you go beyond, if you do decide to go beyond that, the two things. Uh, Tom Lavero used to refer to Ernie as the arsonist fireman. So I think that's one. There's that's one template for a trade. That means what that means everyone is Ernie made a gigantic mistake, and then the trade is. Trade is technically a good trade, but it was it was only a good trade because it cleaned up a mess that he already made. So it's still a bad all-in-all transaction. The second one was Ernie was terrified of free agency, except for one year, which I wish he was terrified of free agency, 2016. And he would preemptively spend his free agency, his cap space by trading for a player who was under contract. So those were the two templates. Kev, do you want to go first? Well, I mean, so the, the, the Ariza stuff is kind of, I mean, that, that was where I went. Somebody on Twitter um, hit us with, a, with an Ariza trade. And obviously, it would be something like, uh, you know, Avdia. And I mean, a classic Ernie trade would be like Avdia or Hachimura um, for Ariza and then fill in your salary, your, your salary filler, right? That's for both, kind of for, for both for Ariza and THT. <laughs> Can anyone interest you in some THT? Yeah, that would be another one too. Yeah, to 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 trade somebody like Kuzma for, you know, Ariza and, and and Horton Tucker, that would be that would be a classic, right? Yeah, they would sell him as the young piece, the Chris McCullough of right. this trade. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but I I went through and I thought of a couple. Um, I've got um, actually like three ideas. Um, okay. So I'm going to pick just the one that I think is sort of most most Ernie. Um, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to say uh, Kuzma and Denny Avdia for Karis Levert. Ooh, that's pretty, that's pretty Ernie. Yeah. Cause Hey, you got your wing now and an right. offensive guy, you know, he can score a little bit. I can see him talking and they've, and they've got Hachimura and they can, you know, bring Bertans back out of the, out of the dustbin and, you know, I yeah, can he would see sell him. it as the best backcourt in the East. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, so that's my answer. I've got like one other that's really bad, but, um, but no, let's hear it. You gotta, you gotta throw it out there. Let's, this is oh, the time. Okay. How about this one? Uh, this one is like a classic young for old. Um, and it's a very Ernie kind of move. Um, so it would be uh, to get Terrence Ross, right? So go. the Wizards could trade. And I think Ernie might would, would consider this Hachimura, Avdia, and Kispert for Terrence Ross. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I had Hachimura and Thomas Bryant for Terrence Ross as a potential candidate on my list. Yeah. But you're, you took that to the literal full, full you went Max Ernie on that. Yeah, yeah Max. So the only Ernie. disappointment here is, of course, that uh, I can't come use the trade machine to come up with a deal for Tim Thomas. <laughs> Ernie had, so had now, a Tim Thomas obsession. So let me just tell it real quick. One, when he was in Milwaukee, he traded for him, gave him a huge contract, um, and he was just thoroughly mediocre. He was basically like kind of the Andre Blatch of his day. Yep. A little better than that, better guy than that, but um, not not much better as a player, right? So that's that's one. But then when I I'd have to go back and take a look, but you'd be amazed at the number of Wizards players over the years, like these forwards 
who's like top comp or in, in their top comp was Tim Thomas. I mean, he kept looking for that same player over and over and over again. <laughs> Drew Gooden, part two, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, all right, let's hear your guys' the deals. Go for it, Ash. Well, I was going to say, I don't have the exact trade, but I have a couple targets. I think, um, I think he could, he would sell a Tomas Sidereski as, as the today's like uh, Trevor Ariza. Yep. He would basically go back to where they were three years ago and say, problem solved, it's all fixed now, you know? So when, and really the last three years would be a waste. Second one is like, we well, talked about this players. For, for one oh. second, if you stay with that, Sadoransky and Willie Hernan Gomez for Rui and Thomas Bryant works in the trade machine. So there we go. See, there we go. He would go, he would do that. He would say, talk about how the Sadoransky deal backcourt was so great. And yep. How like it just took them three years to come to that realization, but like here we are. Hey, hey and Sadoransky can defend multiple positions. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. The other thing too to keep in mind with Arnie is um, he loved to trade for guys that he had always liked. Yeah, I just did air quotes on the always yep. liked. Mm-hmm. Well, the other one, the other target. See, another target that we've always talked about, but I think does fit like an Ernie trade is instead of waiting for a potential cap space down the road, he would trade for Jeremy Grant. He would trade multiple young players like Rui and Danny for Jeremy Grant. And he would sign him to a $120 million deal and tell him he is the co-face of the franchise with Bradley Beal, which Jeremy Grant seems to want to be a featured piece of a team that he goes to. Oh, by the way, he would also sell the Harvey Grant connection, the Bullets connection. Uh It would be so Bullets Wizards and Ernie. (laughs) I actually think that that's the most realistic of the options here and is probably the most Ernie of the group too, only because you can literally feel it happening. He would not let like Grant play out his contract before he plays for the Wizards or or plays a full season. Jeremy Grant will have, would have a $30 million contract with the Wizards, or maybe they'll have like a joint, a joint max contract press conference. Avdia, Hachimura and uh, Thomas Bryant for uh, Jeremy Grant works. Yep. That works. Yep. <laughs> Plus, we'd give him all potential first round picks from now until perpetuity. Yeah. Because uh, why draft? I mean, who wants to draft people? You uh, want draft and you don't want, you certainly don't want second round picks. That's the other classic trade yeah. would be for Ernie at the trade deadline to Nine uh, first round second round pick yeah. for cash. Well, why draft when Beal and Grant can be your Jordan and Pippen? Uh, <laughs> yeah, 2.0, baby. <laughs> to to Kevin's point about Ernie really liked to trade for guys he always liked. Uh, my trade was to trade with Charlotte. You said Thomas Bryant and Rui to them for Kelly Oubre Jr. <laughs> We've come full circle now that he's a come veteran and he's matured elsewhere and he's got a much bigger contract and he isn't any more productive. Let's well, mortgage a young guy to now get him now that he's a vet. Um, the the other one I had was Jordan Clarkson and Rudy Gay. For Thomas Bryant, Rui, and Denny. Yeah. 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 Veteran leadership. That yeah. would be the we brought in vet a veteran leadership and a and like yeah, it would just like you could write uh Ben Becker could write the press release. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It would certainly give them optionality <laughs> and versatility in their lineup. And uh yeah, because Rudy, of course, gay can guard multiple positions. Oh, well, how did Rudy compare to guard him. How, did, how did Rudy compare to Tim Thomas coming out? I would be like, I wouldn't be surprised. It's not a terrible comp. It's not a terrible comp. It's not a terrible comp. Like Rudy Gay was much better. Um, Oh, no, much better. I just mean coming out of college. They probably, you know, it it may have been someone who excited her. 
Yeah, I, I think that it's like um, Tim Thomas would have been, we would probably describe him if we were to compare them, it would be like a poor man's Rudier, right? It's like yeah. Tim Thomas had that kind of versatility, that sort of smooth game at like 6'10". Um, it just didn't really do very much. You know, Gay played a lot harder. I think, you know, a lot more effort and was more skilled, actually. Mm -hmm. Now, the other, another Ernie trade would be like the arsonist fire, like fireman approach or template trade would be he attaches a first rounder to Bertans to move him out, get out of that contract, call to the victory. <laughs> yeah. Nailed it. Uh, I, I said I would read the best fan one, and there were some very legitimate ones, but this one was too good not to read on air for everybody else involved. This is from Strife Chamber. He'd do some kind of deal with Denver involving Green that at the one-yard line would need to be redone because he had no, no idea that Denver had two players with that last name, ultimately costing the Wizards <laughs> more assets for his blunder. <laughs> That's genius. That's, that, that was literally perfect. I like LOL in my living room last night reading that one at like 1145 or whatever. Yeah. It I is still, it's still amazing with that Oubre trade that they initially agreed to a deal that included them getting back a high second rounder, I believe, if I remember correctly, and a conditional second rounder and eventually settled for no second rounders because they were so desperate to get the deal done and they had messed up the names. I know we're probably angering DC Stones by talking about Ernie so much, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah. I think we'll, uh, do, we'll do the off season, the off season we, compliment to this where Ernie we do good Tommy. Ernie trades. At this point, we can we can now let Tommy, you know, Tommy is uh is he learned at the feet of the master and now he's got to got to make his own bad deals. Uh that's too good. Um all right, everybody, this has been another Bullets Forever three-point play. Stick around here in a minute. I'm going to throw a couple little prospect uh, profile stuff for you for, for potential draft guys for a minute just to close us out. But I just want to say, Kevin, Oz, thanks for doing this, guys. As always, uh, folks, you can find it on BulletsForever.com. There's going to be you know the the continuation of this. I think we're tweaking the formula here a little bit potentially to, to add some new wrinkles in to – you know, increase interaction. Maybe there's a Twitter spaces in our future since literally everyone on earth is now doing a Twitter spaces. So um, maybe, maybe we can yeah. kind of co-opt the idea a little bit. Yeah. I think the, the, the plan is let's go around. We'll, we'll do round table next and engage all of, all of wizards, Twitter via spaces. <laughs> Perfect. All right. All right. Thanks everybody. Uh, stick around here for, like I said, a little draft talk and then we'll, we'll get out of here. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that one as much as I did. Uh, just the, the when we talked about the Ernie thing offline, it was just kind of too funny not to do. I have kind of slightly come around on Ernie, talked to a son, Dan Grunfeld. Um, I'm getting soft in my old age. Dan was such a good guy, spoke so glowingly about his dad. Like I, I feel bad um, saying anything bad about Ernie, but it, you know, having a little laugh at somebody's expense every once in a while is like probably not the worst thing in the world you can do. I hope um, like this is what I'm going to tell myself, so I sleep better tonight. But Hope you enjoyed that. Again, if you got more uh, Ernie deadline trades, send them our way and we'll read them, you know, next episode closer to the deadline. Just circling back around to the win over Philly. Uh, they won 106-103. The team's now 24 and 27. Uh, because this is a pro Kuzma podcast, just got to give him a little extra love here. Had 24 points on 10 of 19 from the floor, four of six from three-point range, seven rebounds, three assists, and three blocks. One of them huge on Embiid at the end. So in, in two big games against Philly this year, he has posterized Embiid, 
and also blocked him to basically, you know, ensure a win. Uh, he tied a career high with three blocks last night and has now recorded three blocks in back-to-back games for the first time in his career, which is pretty cool. You know, not that block necessarily translates to like high-end NBA defense, but it does show effort. And I, I do think Kuzma's pretty been a pretty good defender. And this is why I typically don't love individual defensive metrics, because if you watch Kuzma play, he has been one of the Wizards' better defenders, but the numbers don't really bear that out. So I think that's why you're always better off like looking at like how groups of players perform defensively than pulling off like an individual guy's numbers. But uh, for Kuzma, that's 10 consecutive games with at least one block. It's the longest uh, such streak of his career. And he's now scored 20 plus points in 16 games this season. And that's the second most of his career through 48 games played. He had 21 of those in, in 2018, 2019. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, interesting little stats to to throw out there. So yeah, hope, uh, hope Kuz can keep it up because, um, you know, he's been at least a fun guy to watch uh, no matter what. For anybody who hasn't followed this for whatever reason, Beal is going to miss the next couple of games. Uh, he probably will not play until the trade deadline, whatever that means. If you want to put your tinfoil hat back on, maybe you think that there is a trade involving him out there. Who knows? Uh, but yeah, you know, the, it just sort of makes the things interesting for them. And then you heard... Uh, Fred Katz come out and say, from people I've talked to, I'm not as confident now that he's definitely going to come back. I wouldn't be sitting here betting my life on the fact that Bradley Beal is on the Wizards next season, even though I'm still making them the favorites. Uh, Sticking with the athletic from David Aldridge and Josh Robbins, for the first time in a long time, sources close to Beal indicate he's not rejecting out of hand the notion of a trade elsewhere, even though his preference is to remain with the Wizards. So we're starting to see like little cracks in the foundation there of the, oh, Beal wants to be here as long as they show they can build a winner. Well, you know, we'll, we'll see how that really plays out. Uh, just to close us out here, I want to start slowly introducing you guys to some of the draft prospects in the Wizards potential range, wherever that ends up. As of this morning, if you look at Tankathon odds, I think the Wizards are projected to have the 12th pick in the draft, you know, just based on averages. That's not including where the lottery actually plays out luckwise, but the guy I just want to talk about this week is Duke's uh, freshman forward, AJ Griffin. Again, really athletic, small forward. Uh, he looks like he's going to be a capable perimeter shooter. He's got all the physical tools to be a good NBA defender. He's the son of Adrian Griffin, former NBA player, who's now uh, an assistant coach with the Raptors. They'll still be 18 on draft night. This is a guy that's like really kind of rising up draft boards. If he ended up inside the top 10 by draft time, I don't think that would really surprise me. He started the year kind of slow. He's recovering from an injury. So there's a couple six minute, eight minute, those kinds of things. Um, so the minutes and, and you know production is still sort of catching back up. He's only averaging nine points and about four rebounds in 19 minutes a game, but he's shooting 50% from three on the season. And his third, you know, per 36 is a little high for college, obviously, but like, you know, when he, when you stretch those out into like real full-time starters minutes, they're they're actually pretty good. And in their last four games, he's hit five threes in a game, two of those four times he went five for five against Louisville and was huge for them. So I've heard some pushback to this, like why do the wizards always keep drafting forwards? Well, just because you drafted at a position, you know, realistically, maybe the hardest position to get in free agency and it didn't, you didn't get it right the first time doesn't mean you can just no longer draft there again. Um, if you draft point guard after point guard after point guard and they all suck, well, it doesn't mean that you suddenly have a point guard. Eight bad forwards are still eight bad forwards. Um, 
So, uh, you know, you, you take the best guy you can get if you're the Wizards and you worry about fit later. I don't care about your glut of power forwards or whatever, but that was the response I, I most typically got to mentioning A.J. Griffin. Uh, but he's an athletic 3ND caliber guy with upside to be better than that. So, uh, you know, who are the real 3ND caliber wings on this roster? KCP is really a a three and D shooting guard. Uh, Denny is just a D forward. Rui is a little bit of both, but kind of not much of both. So like they don't have that guy yet. So I don't think you can say because we took Troy Brown, we took Rui, we took Denny, we took Kispert, who is not, he's just more of a three and hopefully a serviceable D. Um, it didn't sound the best, but uh, you know, it just, just, these are the kind of guys that are going to be available. This is a very wing-heavy draft, so be prepared to hear a lot about wings in their potential draft range. This is not a great point guard draft. The only guy that may go in their general range is probably Kentucky's Ty Ty Washington, and, and there are some holes there too. So uh, I actually like Ty Ty. He plays hard, um, but you know he's not an elite shooter and things like that. And uh, you know, there's just some questionable kind of fit stuff, but again, if he's the best guy on your board, I wouldn't steer away from it. And my personal preference is just all things being equal. If you're split between two prospects and one of them is a wing, you take a wing because the good teams stockpile them and bogart them. And you can't, you know, you can't get them unless you overpay for them. And there aren't just, there just aren't that many of them. You can get a point guard in free agency, although hopefully they turn out better than Dinwiddie. You can get her, get a center in free agency. Like there are guys available on good deals at those positions. There are no wings that are really good available on team friendly deals because there aren't enough of them. So that's the way I would always lean. Uh, AJ is just a name that should be available in their range. So every week we're going to give you a new prospect profile here. And, uh, you know, we'll just, uh, we'll just keep uh, throwing some guys out there and then we'll do like a, a draft pod, a little, you know, closer, maybe post deadline just to talk about who some of the, more popular names in, in their range are. Again, this is Believe in Wizards. I'm Matt Verno. We're brought to you by betonline.ag. We've gotten a couple uh, nice constructive reviews in, in the last few weeks here. So that really is nice and helpful for us. So uh, if you have an opportunity and some free time to kill, go to iTunes, leave us a review. That means a lot to us. Let us know what you think, what we can do better all that good stuff. Um, you know, we're, we're going to try to subtly incorporate some of the feedback we've gotten here to, to spruce up the show longer term. So uh, yeah, we'll do that. I, I think, you know, the, this three point play sort of spin off pod is, is sort of one reflection of that. And just, um, you know, to kind of give you a different flair from the typical episode. So as always rate review, subscribe, and uh, I don't know, go wizards. Let's hope for some more wins or maybe some more losses, depending on, you know, what your perspective is and and how interested in a, a high lottery pick you are. All right. Until next time. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. 
With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.